I used a version of the stripes for the town of Hay, where the festival is held, during that event there. And it was obvious to me during the event that it was a lot of understanding going on. You could see people, their eyes open up. They understood what it meant by one glance at a graphic. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. Actually, I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at NYU in New York City, where I do research and teach data visualization. That's right. And on this podcast, together we talk about data visualization, data analysis, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with the guests we invite on the show. Exactly. And this time we had Ed Hawkins from the University of Reading in the UK. And we had a super interesting conversation. He's the, actually the person behind the two iconic visualization on climate, the spiral visualization and the stripes visualization. Yeah. And we talked about breaking the data visualization rules. If the climate uh, visualizations from the database community maybe could be improved. And then also making climate information more local or even more personal. And finally, how to work on climate visualization, how to create collaborations between visualization designers and uh, climate scientists. And he also gave us a really interesting tip about how to find the most active climate scientists on Twitter. Right, so really good episode. Can recommend to listen. But before we start, just a quick note. Our podcast is listener-supported, so there are no ads. And that also means if you do enjoy the show, please consider supporting us. You can do that with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories. Or you can also send us one-time donations on paypal.me slash data stories. Exactly. And before starting, another couple of quick announcements. So first of all, we want to have a shout out for Robert Kosara, who had the courage to start a YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> so it's really good. Are, it's really good. It's really it's, good. It's I, I really was skeptical, good. but it's really good. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> check it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then I think, Moritz, you've been at ENCODE. I don't know, you want to say something yeah, about it? Yeah, just came back from a great conference, ENCODE in London. They'll do another one next year. Can totally recommend it. And the videos will be out soon. And I can really recommend checking out the talks. We'll, we'll post it on Twitter, I guess, when they're out. And I also have another project, but maybe I won't talk about that another time, but it's a soil moisture map visualization for the Grow Observatory. So if you see that flying by in your Twitter feed, check it out. It's good. Anyways, <laughs> it's in line with the episode. Totally. A lot of eco-related stuff. So let's dive right in. Our guest today is Ed Hawkins. Hi, Ed. Great to have you on. Hi, Ed. Good afternoon. So great to have you on. Ed, can you tell us a bit about yourself, what, what you're interested in, what you're working on? Sure. So uh, my name is Professor Ed Hawkins. I work at the University of Reading in the UK, uh, and I'm a climate scientist. And I study how the climate has already changed, how it might change in the future, uh, and the implications that is for society and, and um, how we might live our lives. 
Yeah, and that's obviously a very timely topic now. <laughs> what was once a niche interest <laughs> has now become one of the most important topics maybe we could talk about at all. And in fact, you have created some of the most iconic data visualizations, uh, in my view, about the topic of climate change. And so that's why we are very excited to have you on and talk a bit about them. The, the first one that uh, I saw, at least personally, well, first you had some work on ending uh, the rainbow nightmare that we're in, which, which I really appreciate. <laughs> Uh, but then the first climate visualization <laughs> that I, I noticed from you were the animated climate spirals, right? That's right, yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about them, like how they get made, what they show and what, what their overall impact was? Sure. So, I mean, I guess climate science is viewed as a somewhat controversial topic, mm. uh, even though it perhaps shouldn't be in many ways. The science is very clear. Right. But as scientists, we we have to communicate our science very accurately um, to a very broad audience because of the large implications it has for society in general. Sure. But as scientists, we, you know, we tend to think about how we communicate with other scientists most of the time. You know, we make our complicated graphics with all of the nuances, which are very important to consider. They're all represented in our normal graphics we use day to day. But I think when we're talking to broader audiences, we have to think again about how we communicate uh, and how we visualize the data that we work with day to day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, the, the climate spirals was the, the first one that sort of caught the public attention, if you like. Um, I'd been experimenting with all kinds of different ways of representing changes in global temperature. Uh, and then one Friday afternoon, I was sent a, an email by a colleague who I'd never met who made a suggestion uh, of editing one of my earlier graphics to create a, a spiral form. Uh, and I thought this was quite a good idea. Um, so on a Friday afternoon, I sat down and um, remade my previous visualization uh, into this animated climate spiral, and it took off from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it shows the, what, what does it show? The temperature anomaly, I think? That's right. So what it shows is the increase that we have observed in global temperatures since the pre-industrial era, so before the Industrial Revolution. Um, and that's important because the politicians have decided that we should try and limit the rise in global temperatures to avoid the very worst impacts of climate change. Uh, and they've set targets of one and a half or two degrees change since the pre-industrial era. Uh, and what this graphic was designed to represent is how far we already already are along that journey towards these temperature targets, which the policymakers have set. Uh, and so what we see is these spirals spiraling outwards, these lines spiraling to show how far we've progressed along that journey. Uh, and currently we're over one degree warmer than pre-industrial times and edging towards 1.1 or 1.2 degrees. And so that doesn't give us much wiggle room if we're going to keep the temperatures to within 1.5 degrees, which is the stringent target in the Paris Climate Agreement, which the politicians have signed up to. And so the animation shows this evolution over about 30 seconds. Um, and I think what it does is helps tell a story about how things are changing. And I think that's very important. The animated nature means that it tells a story as we're going along, the warming is quite slow to begin with, and mm. then suddenly accelerates towards the end, which is perhaps a surprise when it happens. Um, and I've, you know, I've heard about people watching it over and over again um, <laughs> because they, they had this shock at the end. They wanted to go back and rewatch it to, to understand what was going on. <laughs> to, to see how that plot twist they didn't see coming uh, actually was exactly, built up, yes. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the fascinating thing about animations. Like immediately you want to know how it ends, right? You start watching and then you want to know how it ends. <laughs> and I think, you know, in this modern era of social media and sharing little animated clips, um, which has grown and grown over the last few years, I think it, you know, it was luck. It was a lucky moment, I think, where um, that's that kind of animation could, could have a real impact when people were, you know, starting to share or are sharing lots of little clips like that. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter and it was passed around quite a bit and and I was I was surprised too how how much traction um uh, an animated data visualization can get and not, not as surprised as me, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. And it even ended up as being shown on the uh, the um celebration or the opening ceremony for for Rio 2016, right? That's right. And and that so, was also a shock. Um so yes, <laughs> So the Rio opening ceremony decided to make a uh, an issue out of climate change, and they had quite a long segment discussing um, the, the changes that we'd seen uh, and you know the the response that might be and what happens in the future. Uh, and I was I was watching the opening ceremony at home. I was <laughs> I was actually building some flat pack furniture, um, watching the opening ceremony. Uh, and um, <laughs> the, the, the climate section came on, and so I paid a bit more attention. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly the, the the climate spiral appeared, and I think I dropped my screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> so you had no idea that they would actually use it. No, nobody no. contacted you before using it. No, I had no idea. <laughs> oh my god, that's interesting. Did they, did they use your actual figure, or or they actually remade it? Uh, they, they remade it. They redrawn oh, okay. it. But it, it was very oh, clearly okay. based on, on on the original design. Yes. <laughs> I didn't mind, you know, I know that they, you know, they, they, these things have to be kept secret. Um, mm. uh, and um, so that was fine. Yeah. Yeah. But it shows how far like a good visual form. And I think also a good visual metaphor, this whole idea of things spiraling out of control or being out of whack. Right. I think that all plays into the emotional impact of that piece. Right. That is one of the reasons I think which, you know, was used a lot when it was shared was that, it, you know, people had the impression that things were spiraling out of control and that metaphor was used a lot. But I think actually that's the wrong message to take away <laughs> um, because um, things are not out of control. They're in our hands. Um, and because climate change is driven by human activity, we have the power to choose what happens next. Um, and so the choices that we make now and over the coming decades will determine where we end up. Um, and so we do have control about what will happen next. And I think that is a message we need to try and talk about a lot mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The other, like, even more popular project was the <laughs> Warming Stripes you published, I would say, last year. Am I right? That's right. They started yeah. this year, yes. But they got really popular, like, right now. <laughs> so they were on the cover of The Economist and used in The Guardian, I know. Um, I have seen people with T-shirts. There's there's skirts, <laughs> there's T-shirts, <laughs> probably even dog, even food yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about those? Like, is is was that a natural follow-up for you to do, and and how how did it evolve? Yeah, so I guess this came down to thinking about how we communicate as simply as possible. Mm -hmm. so, you know, although the spiral had been very popular it still took quite a bit of thinking about to yeah. interpret what it meant. Yeah. Um, and not everyone understood it. Um, uh, and so I was looking for a way to communicate even more simply um, to audiences which 
maybe are not used to seeing graphs or axes or labels or um, anything you know which we see day to day but is complicated to them um and you know it may look a bit too mathematical to them and they didn't mm. like being math to science so, maybe. you know it, it turns them off straight away right um and so i was uh, scheduled to do an event at a, a literature festival called the hay festival which is a famous uh, literature festival in the uk um and so i was looking for a way to communicate to an audience um who probably many of them wouldn't have looked, seen many scientific graphics before. Um, and so the idea of just using colors um, came up. And so I used a version of the stripes for the, the town of Hay, where the festival is held, um, uh, during that event there. And it was obvious to me during the event that there was a, it, it was a lot of understanding going on. You could see, you could see people, their eyes open up, they, mm -hmm. The pennies dropped. They, they understood what it meant um, by one glance um, at a graphic. And so what it is, it just is colored stripes um, representing the temperature in a particular year, ordered from whenever the data starts to whenever the data finishes. It's just a series of colored stripes with blue colors representing colder temperatures and red colors representing warmer temperatures. And so what you see when you look at these stripes for, for most locations across the world is that you'll see blue colors to begin with, um, uh, and then a mixture of reds and blues. And then as we come to the present day, you see, uh, red colors from nearly every year. And so there's this sudden change from, from blue to red, um, which very, very clearly shows the warming that we've seen over the last 30, 40 years is very, very stark very visual, very obvious. There's no mistaking what's going on. Um, and just having those colors allows that communication, that the message to be communicated exceptionally clearly. And people can just take one look at it and understand what it means. Um, and I think that's the power um, of, of the stripes. It avoids many of the complications, but that's very deliberate mm -hmm. because we want to start the conversation about climate change. Um, um, and to do that, we have to start simply. And, you know, there's no one graphic that will um, appeal to everybody or communicate everything we need to communicate. But this version, the stripes, just allow some of those conversations to start that would not happen otherwise. Right. And I think what, what I observed, at least the last two or three weeks, is that they have almost become a logo for for the whole topic of climate change, right? So it's actually, to me, much less of a chart than rather a symbol or an icon, right? And I think that's that's such an interesting uh, development and, and also something that we actually really needed. <laughs> it's like, like, what is this iconic image that, that we can use to to talk about these these so hard to fathom things? I, you know, I think that's really interesting to see what has happened I mean, because it is so simple with just colors, mm -hmm. it can be adapted to so many different purposes um, in so many different cases. Um, and so, as, as you say, people have put it on some clothing. Um, obviously, banners have been used. Uh, there's one town in Germany which uh, has painted their side of a tram in the different stripes. <laughs> um, there, there's, um, a, a I paint my house with it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, there, is. There, there is someone in Spain who has painted a wall in their village um, in the different colored stripes. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a, an American um, chap who bought a Tesla car and painted it 
uh, with the stripes and he drives around going to car festivals with this colored stripy Tesla. Um, and he says, you know, he has more, he had more conversations about climate change in one day than he'd had in the previous rest of his life, purely because this car had started the conversation, mm-hmm. it allowed mm-hmm. him to, to discuss the issue, which is perhaps controversial um, in many areas, particularly in the United States. Yeah. Um, but it allowed those conversations to start. It's almost like a Trojan horse because people will compliment him probably on, <laughs> oh, nice, nice stripes on your car. And he can say, oh, actually, it's <laughs> about climate change, right? And there, there, there you are. probably was a lot yeah. of that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what I find so interesting about this is that these charts or visuals seem to break the rules of, of what we traditionally believe to be good data visualization or, you know, what the, the usual like credo is in, in the scene. So the animated spirals, it's something where, let's say, you go to a data visualization class, you know, your teacher might say, yeah, animations, you know, it seems logical for time, but maybe small multiples are actually better. And also with the climate stripes, let's say a student would do it in class, you know, maybe Enrico would say, yeah, but where's the legend, you know, <laughs> maybe color is not the most precise way Price, to, yeah. to show this data. Have you considered a line chart or something like this? <laughs> And so I'm wondering, did you break these rules on purpose? Because probably you have done more science visualization of the same data already, right? And more precise ones. And and what do you think, what's the effect of breaking these rules? Um, so I guess I didn't know the rules. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. Yeah, yeah. that works too. And, 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 and maybe that helps. Um, but no, yeah, of course, you know, we work with this data every day um, and... And so we're very used to understanding what it represents, uh, what's going on. We understand all the subtleties, the uncertainties, the nuances. Um, and we're not maybe tied down by, you know, sets of rules. Um, we're just experimenting, or I, I am just experimenting with different ways of representing the same data. Um, and some of our experiments have been massive failures, and that's fine. Um, but... Yeah, of course, we make more complex versions to communicate all of the, the necessary precision and uncertainty. Um, but that is not going to work for the broadest audience. Um, and so we need multiple different types, multiple different forms of the same data presented in different ways to, to communicate to different groups of people. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually thinking that your spiral and stripes are really good examples I can show in class to say that all these rules are relative, right? <laughs> so it's uh, it's actually actually very useful academically. And um, I think what what is I think what these two projects have in common is maybe the idea that the 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 techniques that you're using here to visualize this data are very visceral, right? So both the spiral and uh, and the change in colors in the climate stripes, they you don't need to explain what is going on, right? And uh, so the animation is engaging. I think at least I, I think there is something special in animation where people, when they see something animated, now they are watching. They're not just uh, it's not this this static thing that they have to analyze. They can kind of like uh, laid back a little bit and 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 see how the the whole thing unfolds, right? I think this is true also for the work of uh, Hans Rosling. I, I guess you're familiar with his famous um, animated charts. So um, maybe I think w- what is special here is the this idea that both both visualizations are pretty straightforward to understand what is going on, and they're also very visceral and very engaging. 
Does it make sense to you what I'm saying? No, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Yes, yeah, so that's certainly some of the feedback that I've had over the last couple of years. That yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. Would you use them in papers? Are scientists now using them in their papers because they saw you uh, being so successful with these representations? <laughs> um, uh, so we have actually, well, we wrote a paper about the spiral and about it. <laughs> oh, okay. So it has yeah. actually technically been published, but it was about why it was so successful um, and, oh, and why yeah. people, why scientists should get involved in this. Um, and I think what's been great to see is that um, there's been a growth in climate scientists on social media publishing very innovative graphics. Um, there's you know, a, a large number of us now who regularly put our visualizations on, on our social media accounts, and many of them are very, very popular uh, and get shared quite widely. Uh, and that's been fantastic to see that so many different ideas um, have come up um, from the scientific community um, as well as the data visualization, data visualization community, um, and I think that sort of that mix of skills and experience is is really helping communicate these issues. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting about how much quote unquote how much pressure, but also opportunity climate scientists have. Right, it's it's now that kind of scientist who is tasked with the with the goal of communicating with with basically any, everyone and anyone. Right, so that's that's really interesting. Yeah, maybe that's also connected to a question I generally had. Um, so, it, do you think every should every scientist be actually communicating their own science and and be active in science communication in general, or or is there maybe a bigger need for dedicated science communicators like database experts or science journalists? Or, or what, what's your take on this? Yeah, so I guess all climate scientists and all scientists do communicate what they do. Um, normally, it's communicating to fellow scientists. Um, and that is the way that they have been mm -hmm. trained and it's the way they think. Um, uh, and there's a growing number of us who communicate more broadly to broader audiences. Um, I don't think we need every scientist to do that. We probably need, you know, a number, um, but we don't need everybody to do that. Um, and that's and that, that's that's the right thing because not everyone has an interest in it um, or, or maybe the right skills. Um, uh, and so... The fact that there are a number of us experimenting in this area, I think, is great. Um, we'll always benefit from, you know, professional experience from data viz experts um, coming in and, and telling us telling us about what we might be doing right or what we might be doing wrong. Um, uh, and we, it won't get rid of the need to have professional data viz people on this topic as well, because they will have novel ideas just as we can. Um, and so it is. It does need a mix of people always, I think, um, to be as effective as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a longer Twitter discussion. I sort of kicked off with like loudly musing about these questions and and also complaining a bit that maybe we as database community need to step up our game a bit here. And by now, I'm thinking maybe we're just overcomplicating things. Sometimes <laughs> we're trying to be so clever. <laughs> we're trying to be so clever about the right visual that we sort of miss the the obvious things that would work totally well. <laughs> and so I think we need to keep keep talking there. And and your work is just a great example of how these two worlds uh, can meet. <laughs> I think I'd probably make a, a terrible data viz expert. <laughs> 
So it is something I'm thinking a lot about how how we as as designers, artists, scientists can can be more effective in communicating all these these complicated issues about climate change. And I I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that because I think the science around climate change is uh, is known for a long time, uh, and the fact that global warming is human made and so on. But at the same time, there seems to be some sort of strange maybe it's a cognitive bias or sort of a mental block that that keeps us from either communicating these facts effectively or maybe communication of the facts works but then the translation into action is the problem um, so it's 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 it seems to be such a weird um hard to solve situation what what in your view are the biggest challenges and obstacles here so i, I don't necessarily think the challenge is in the communication side I think we, as scientists, we, as you say, have understood that humans are driving these changes and we've understood that for a number of decades. Uh, and we've communicated that to politicians and to the public for um, decades as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, Although we are finding new and novel ways and better ways of communicating, I don't necessarily think that we have done such a bad job that people haven't understood this. Yeah. There was also an inconvenient truth. It's like over 10 years old, right? That that already caused like a big wave of attention to the whole topic and was really well made as well, right? Yeah, and, and there are a number of different ways that, you know, these conversations have started in the past. Um, and inconvenient truth is one of those. Mm. Um, but I think the problem is that we're not we're not used to having to deal with problems which have such long timescales yeah. and have such mm. global implications you know, we are used to dealing with things, dealing with things that you know a few years ahead, because that's our political cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, we're just not used to having to deal with generational problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, climate mm-hmm. change is, you know, the, the biggest one that we have potentially, right. um, and it requires political agreement across the political spectrum, um, and it requires very long-term thinking, uh, and that's just something that we're just not set up to, to, to deal with. And I think this is the main reason why um, the actions have not necessarily followed what the politicians have wanted to or have said they want to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the implications are you know, quite transformational in many, many ways. If we are to meet the targets that the politicians have set, we will need very large transformations to society. Um, and some of those transformations may well be uncomfortable and unpopular um but if we are to meet the targets then those transformations will have to occur so for example we will have to replace every combustion engine with either electric vehicles or hydrogen vehicles um we will need to replace gas as a form of heating um we will need to do a number of other things um uh, maybe change diets or reduce flying um, and all of these things are quite um, maybe difficult for people to appreciate and take on board and understand why they have to do it yeah so what 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 you are saying basically is that communication is not necessarily bad it, it, there are many many more problems to solve that communication itself can can't really solve to understand right there are you know there are enormous there are enormous problems which the scientists can't solve um you know even you know with a perfect communication we would still be facing a situation i think where um it is very difficult for 
decisions and policies to be put in place because we're just not used to dealing with such long-term issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that also has to do with the fact that, well, on the one hand, we can visualize what happened in the past, and that's like known measurements, right? And your warming stripes are expressions of the past data, the, the climate spiral as well. Then, of course, you can also visualize projections, um, but then it becomes already a bit bit more difficult because there might be more fuzzy, there might be uncertainty baked in and so on. And then it's even harder or impossible to, let's say, data visualize future scenarios or or the effect of your actions or something like this, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, you know, the key point that we discussed briefly earlier was about our choices. You know, we're, we're facing a time now where our choices over the next decade or so will determine, you know, whether we end up breaking these targets That have, that have been agreed um, and so it is it is down to us it is down to our choices um, uh, and we can try and talk about the implications of um, taking lots of action against not taking any action um, and, and those are the types of things we do try and communicate in different ways um, you know, representing two possible futures where we have taken lots of action or we haven't Uh, and look at the differences between those two. And I think you know, that's a, a one way that we have tried to communicate um, about why these changes that um, have been put forward um, are, are needed to avoid the worst impacts. Um, we're still going to have significant impacts, whatever we do now, because we've waited so long. Um, and we're going to have to deal with those and adapt, um, especially in developing nations, which are much more vulnerable to the changes that we're seeing. Um, And so we are going to have to make difficult choices and adapt to the changes that are already happening as well. Yeah, and I'm wondering, somewhat related to that, I think that not only there is not a lot of visual representations that, I, I think most of the visual representations we see out there, as Moritz said, are mostly about the past rather than the future. But do you think there is also a limitation in terms of um, As long as we talk about temperature and CO2, these are just abstract numbers for people, right? But if we could make things a little bit more tangible and things that are a little closer to our imagination, especially if we talk about the possible future and possible impacts on, on people and societies, then maybe it would be even be more powerful. I don't know. What, what do you think? I think that's a really important point. I think... We often will talk in terms of global temperature, which mm. is not experienced by anyone. Yeah, um, exactly. We experience temperature and rainfall and heat waves and storms, you know, where we happen to be at that particular moment in time. Uh, and so one of the ways we have adapted the stripes graphics is to produce graphics for every country yeah. um, to try and break, break down one of those barriers and to mm. make it more relevant to... Um, people's everyday lives they can see how temperatures have changed already in in their locations in their part of the world yeah. and that immediately then makes it more relevant to them and they go ah you know we've talked about these global changes but that means my my location has changed as well um and that breaks down one of those barriers and, and allows that conversation to happen about how things have changed locally mm -hmm. but i think yeah. you know you make, yeah. make a wider point that we need to make it more and more relevant to people And we yes, have to even, talk about yeah. yeah. We have to talk more about how how this affects people's lives. So, uh, for example, you know, we'll see more heat waves. Um, we'll see more heavy rainfall events. Um, we'll see you know hurricanes drop more rain. 
we'll see sea levels rise. And so when storms hit, we'll see more inundation at the coasts when those storms mm. happen. And so the more we can make these things real and talk about how it will affect people, um, then the, the, the more relevant and potentially the more impactful we will be. Yeah, there is also this problem that one degree doesn't sound like anything important, right? <laughs> I mean, one of yeah. the most common reactions I hear is like, mm. oh, it's going to be a little warmer here. Yeah. Nice. No, that's, that's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, so yeah. I think that's that's important. And day to day, that's absolutely right. You know, we won't feel the difference um, on a normal day, whether it's 15 degrees Celsius or 16 degrees Celsius. doesn't necessarily matter that much. But what it does mean is when we get extreme events, they will be worse. And so we will get hotter heat waves, which we haven't experienced before. Um, we will get more rainfall because the atmosphere is warmer and so we will get more flooding events when the rain happens and um, and so although one degree does not sound very much and day to day it may not be the implications can be very severe and mm -hmm. that, communicating that point is is very challenging but it is doable yeah but that's interesting again because that maybe also means we have communicated that too simplistic average total global <laughs> average for too long yeah. <laughs> you know and so this <laughs> might might actually have been a case of oversimplification then right definitely yeah and we yeah. have to have to talk increasingly about how this affects people day mm -hmm. to day um uh and to do that we need to make it relevant um and so the more we can yeah. do that the better yeah. yeah if there were Among our listeners, there's loads of like <laughs> young, young engaged people burning to like you know do something uh, in, in that realm. Um, if you were to start now, like, do you have any recommendations about what what are good data sources to get started with, or which top topics or angles are not not covered enough in that whole space? Um, you mentioned the the personal perspective and and the scenarios. Are, are there similar? Things where you say like, oh, these these types of things should should be talked more about, or these are really good starting points to get started with data visualization in that space. Um, oh, that's a question I've not really <laughs> thought much about. Um, <laughs> I think probably you should just stick with what you're interested in and what mm -hmm. you think people care about. You know, if, if it's something that you care about, then it's likely that other people will care about it as well. Yeah. So you know, you might talk about coral reefs, for example, where. You know, we we are saying that potentially we're going to lose lose the vast majority of the world's coral reefs if temperatures get to roughly two degrees above pre-industrial levels. Mm. Uh, and that isn't that far away in terms of by the time we think about how long it takes to reduce emissions. Mm. Um, so that's one example, but there are many around the world and different countries have different risks. So, for example, the biggest risk for You know, European countries is very different from the biggest risks for a country like Bangladesh, for example, yeah, yeah. Of or course, countries yeah. in Africa uh, or countries in the Middle East. You know, all of these countries face very different challenges for different reasons. And so um, it is important to talk about what is important for wherever you live, um, because it will be different. Yeah, yeah I, I have a somewhat related question. Um, so in the past, I, I had the fortune to to work together with a group of climate scientists, and uh, it's one of the best collaborations I had in the last 10, 15 years. I, I loved it. And I think this kind of collaborations between data visualization experts and climate scientists could be potentially be very, very impactful and useful and fun. <laughs> so what do you think about it? How can we make 
more of these collaborations happen? Are there, do you have any, any ideas there? And maybe even for our listeners, if they want to reach out to, to climate scientists, what, what do you suggest there? Find a friendly climate scientist to talk to. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, th- th- there are some in most, you know, most places around the world. Um, so there are a lot of us on social media. There are several thousand climate scientists on social media. Hmm. Um, and so if you want to find a long list, then there is one scientist called Catherine Hayhoe. Um, oh. And she, she maintains a very long list of climate scientists on Twitter. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, <laughs> we're going to put it in our in our show notes for sure. Yeah, um, and so yeah, you can search that list for a climate scientist near you or who works on a topic which you're interested in, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then contact them. If you know if they're on social media, they're likely to want to engage um, with you know different groups, and I, I would hope many of them would be interested in talking to the DataViz community. Yeah, yeah, I love that uh, perspective of, of taking it local and finding something small you yeah. care about and then taking it yeah. from there and that that might get you out of that block of thinking oh it's a global problem you know i will never be able to solve <laughs> it and so everything needs to start somewhere and uh, yeah. the personal angle is, is the most important one fantastic thanks so much ed that that was really wonderful and uh thanks so much for your work i think uh, you're, you're doing a great great job there and i can't wait to see what you'll come up with next thank you for having me on. Two out of let's two. hope the, the topic gets much more traction now yeah i mean it's just been very very inspiring to see um the young people around the world stand up and say that they want to unite behind the science um yeah. and and you know take such dramatic action as they have done over the last few months um to to speak very loudly with one voice about what what they what they feel about their future and yeah. that's been very inspiring to us as scientists um to see that happen and uh, i'd like to thank them all for doing that and standing up and you know yeah it's it. very very encouraging uh, to see <laughs> to see these movements yeah fantastic thank you so much thank you Ed. thank you for having me bye take care bye 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 hey folks thanks for listening to data stories again Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is crowdfunded and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash datastories where we publish monthly previews of upcoming episodes for our supporters. Or you can also send us a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash datastories. Or as a free way to support the show, if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be very helpful as well. And here's some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so follow us there for the latest updates. We have also a Slack channel where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, go to our homepage at datastory.es, and there you'll find a button at the bottom of the page. And there you can also subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish a new episode. That's right. And we love to get in touch with our listeners. So let us know if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know any amazing people you want us to invite or even have any project you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Just send us an email at mail at datastory.es. That's all for now. Hear you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.